Welcome to the Future Charlotte Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Portillo. I've spent more than a decade studying Charlotte, first as a journalist and now as assistant director of the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. 20 years ago, this city looked radically different. No light rail, a smaller skyline, and breweries, what breweries? What will we look like in the next 20 years? That's what we're exploring on this show. Our guest today is Jason Lawrence, senior planner for CATS. Jason, thanks for taking some time. Um, Just before we started recording, we were talking about how busy you are. So what are you spending most of your time on now? Uh, well, I, I tell you, like it's it's a crazy time. Um, we, you know, just just last year, we we wrapped up a massive update of our 2030 transit system plan, which resulted in the adoption of a 26 mile long light rail project that that could potentially touch three counties. It's called the Link Silver Line from Union County through Matthews through through Charlotte through Uptown Charlotte out to the airport and into a potential station in Gaston County just across the Catawba River. That's certainly one project that I'm continue to participate on. We've got a North Corridor bus rapid transit project in the works where we're looking to fully utilize the express lanes on I-77 to, to provide a frequent all-day service to towns north of Charlotte, even into Iredell County and the town of Morrisville. Um, also coordinating with the uh, Central Atlanta Regional Council uh, with a, a regional transit plan called Connect Beyond, and that's looking at where we can define high-capacity transit such as light rail, bus rapid transit, and commuter rail across the 12 county, two state region, also looking at integrated bus service strategies across that entire space. Um, supporting all the other efforts that's happening in Charlotte, the strategic mobility plan, uh, working and supporting the Charlotte Moves Task Force. And uh, out of our Envision My Ride effort was something that we're calling a bus priority study. We're looking at ways to create a capital program to improve speed and reliability for our most frequent existing and future bus networks. Okay, so not a lot there, just a few small things. Um, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's an incredibly full plate right now, and it's um, you know, it's coming at this time where there's all kinds of plans that are coming together for Charlotte, and you know, we've got the Unified Development Ordinance, um, the new Charlotte Future 2040 uh, Vision Plan, and and that um, 2040 Vision Plan was kind of what got me thinking about you know this question of what will look like as a city, as a community in Charlotte and beyond in 20 years. So, you know, you just outlined uh, briefly a ton of stuff there, but from a from a really big picture, broad perspective, what do you think some of the biggest changes we're going to see over the next two decades in how we get around this community, how we move from point A to point B are going to be? Sure. I mean, I think all we have to do uh, is um, look back 20 years to see how much has changed from to, to look how we'll be in 20 years from now. If you think like what we were 20 years ago, there was no such thing as cell phones. There, there was no such, you know, the, the thought of ride share and all the things that, that have happened. So I only anticipate those kinds of changes where technology is more integrated and our total mobility environment will just increase. Uh, I do think there will always will be a need for high capacity types of, of transit services. So I think transit may evolve into more focusing on these corridors where, you know, more straight line type of services where high capacity transit can exist, like bus rapid transit, light rail, commuter rail, and then centered around these mobility hubs where you can uh, connect to multiple modes of service. So think about places where all your bike share, your scooter share, car share, uh, on-demand type of services could spin out 
from these mobility hubs that are connected by high capacity transit services. And tell me a little bit more about um, you know the mix of transit that's being looked at right now because I think when people hear uh, transit, they think some kind of rail, and you know we're a system where uh, the bus system is still in many ways the backbone um, of our transit system. What what does the mix look like, and beyond just uh, beyond just rail? Well, certainly, you know your bus network is the backbone of any successful transit system. You you just can't have successful rail without a very robust, frequent bus network to support that, and that'll certainly be the case here for Charlotte. Um, I do think that as we look at the mix of fleet vehicles, I think could potentially change. You know, for the longest time, we've been focusing more on the, you know, the 40 foot, the larger style buses. I do think over time, our, our fleet will, will start to see smaller vehicles, vehicles that are more nimble and adaptable to serve more on-demand type of service. I could see that being gaining um, more prominence for us in our fleet mix. Uh, I do think that, you know, electric vehicles are become more of a, of a more prominent role in our fleet. We're, we're currently working with Duke Energy on, on a proposal to look at conversion, a portion of our fleet, and over time, our complete fleet. So I think you'll see, see more of that, more electric, more, more on-demand, more smaller vehicles uh, to support those larger vehicles along those uh, transportation corridors. As we look at, um, I guess, the overall goal of getting people out of single occupancy vehicles, for every trip. Um, what does the, the mode share breakdown uh, look like in Charlotte now? And, you know, where might we be in 20 years? Are, are we going to be, um, you know, 50% of us in our cars? Uh, what, what do you think that could look like? Oh, maybe answer that in a couple, couple of ways. I mean, you could look at other cities that are taking some pretty aggressive mode share goals, about maybe most split goals. And I think as a part of the strategic mobility plan, we will want to set an aspirational goal for us, uh, for, for mode split. So that would be for, for bus and bike and ped. A uh, couple different ways we can get there. I mean, right now the mode split's pretty low. You know, it's probably less than 10% in, in, our, in our region for, you know, say if you want to look at trips coming into Uptown, the major employment center. Um, the, if we want to expand that, we've, we'll have to give priority to our transit network in order to, to achieve that to make it more, more attractive. Uh, I think also how we improve that mode split is, you know, take a concept that's being developed as a part of the 2040 uh, comprehensive plan. You know, what about these, you know, looking at 10 minute neighborhoods and 15 minute neighborhoods, you know, I think they're looking at creating these place types where you can get to most of your services with 10 or 15 minutes. Well, I think it'll be our challenge as a transit agency to start thinking in where, where, where we set out mobility hubs, how can we ensure that most of what people would need, um, for their main trips occur within 10 or 15 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. It sounds like uh, it sounds like you've got some canine companions there. Okay, they're outside now. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Okay. So I, I think one thing that we'll as transit agencies, you know, we gotta we need to adapt our thinking. You know, right now uh, for, for for decades we looked at um, you know bringing everything into uptown, you know, to to major employment center and then coming out. And I think that. Uh, I, think, I think the pandemic has certainly taught us that, you know, the, the peak of yesterday, pre-pandemic, may be very different post. And so as more people work from home, uh, we'll, we'll have to diversify the mix of transit trips that we want to try to attract. And I think if we can start lining our plans up with like the 2040 plan 
focus, you know, thinking about these 10 minute neighborhoods, mobility hubs that are in the middle of those 10 minute neighborhoods, and then transit services and mobility services that can, can connect people within there. I think that's how we get to that mode split goal. Like, well, we won't 100% be able to achieve that just focused on the work trip. We have to find those uh, ways to attract people inside a more compact area. It sounds like you're talking about something which I think um, is important to note for a lot of the conversations about the future, which is everything's interrelated. You know, we're not just talking about transit. We're not just talking about land use or schools or employment centers. It all has to um, relate to each other and um, and make sense as a unified whole. That's that's exactly right. Yeah, I think that you know what one concept that we're we're, we're developing as a part of the Connect Beyond Regional Transit effort is that total you know mobility network. It's not just these you know completely separate type of modes. How do we all integrate them together? I was on a call recently where some actually, you know, Uber representatives were on their call. I mean, the pandemic has got them even thinking differently about how do they integrate more with transit agencies because they have a customer base that they need to serve. We have a customer base we want to serve. In some ways, I think we have a shared, we could have a shared purpose to, to compete against single occupancy vehicles because in some ways, that's where we have, could have some shared goals. Yeah, I think there's been a, a perception among some that, you know, Transit and uh, rideshare are in competition. Rideshare will, you know, um, really suck people out of transit. But there's also a lot of talk about, you know, first mile, last mile, getting people to and from transit hubs. Um, do you think that that's really in our future? I, I think in some ways it it is already a part of our future. We we have a, a first last mile pilot program that we've been partnering with Lyft. It's in a very kind of preliminary stages. Uh, out of our two of our light rail stations. Uh, we are looking to do more on-demand type of services, you know, looking at some really basic concepts called flex routes where we would operate our own fleet uh, in, in a kind of defined route, but it would come in on-demand, like you call a number to be delivered, or all the way to, you know, scheduling a trip on an app. So I think that we, you know, certainly haven't developed that completely, but those are the things that we are, that we know that we have to adapt to, because I think in this, in this world right now, if you're not convenient, it's really difficult to be competitive to, to other types of modes. Yeah. And, um, you know, in this world right now, I think everyone's kind of reassessing how they move around, whether they need to go to work every day in the office when the pandemic is over, what that'll look like. So definitely a, a, just a lot of changes. Um, how do you, you mentioned the regional aspect of this, um, you know, the Silver Line could touch three counties. Um, the Connect Beyond initiative, of course, involves a, a wider region. Historically, Charlotte and Katz, um, you know, kind of run the system, obviously, with um, Mecklenburg half-cent sales tax, local funding, mostly local planning. How do you think we um, can effectively broaden the conversation and draw in um, counties beyond Mecklenburg? you know, maybe over the state line to South Carolina. And what's the status of those conversations? What are, what are people um, talking about now? Well, the, the first step with that is doing what we're doing now. I mean, you know, having a unified transit vision across all those, all those boundaries is how we develop the vision to, bit, to base some level of funding conversations off of. Now, you know, us in Central Carolina, we've been going around the region for the past three or four years 
we called it, we called it a regional transit engagement series where we were just asking the basic question of our, of our neighbors, is it time for regional transit plan? And everybody unifiedly agreed that it was and all the metropolitan planning organizations in this 12th county region uh, came together to fund this regional transit plan. You know, Charlotte alone and CATS alone did not fund this effort. This was funded across all the MPOs. And so that was a big first step, first off, just to get the planning organizations to fund this effort. And I think that there's there certainly is recognition that in, in each of these counties to, to extend the light rail or, or, or build commuter rail or bus rapid transit that Part of that responsibility will have to be local funding, just like it is in Mecklenburg County. You know, we certainly have heard that recognition. And I think what we're trying to do is to help create those types of projects that could be part of an overall package if a county were to decide to do that, just like we're doing in, in Mecklenburg. It can't be all about light rail or bus. It's gotta be a mix of modes. Uh, to make sure that we're meeting the needs of, of the local population. So I think that Connect Beyond is, is a big first step towards that. And uh, I think as we progress to this effort, more conversations about, about funding and how you take these to the next step uh, will, will be something that we'll begin to hear from, from across the region. So as we look at this, um, you know, you mentioned funding. I know that that's not your um, main job, you know, figuring out how to pay for it. And you're probably glad because that's, I mean, personally, it's not a job I would want. Um, how, but, you know, since you are involved in it, how do you think um, we can really look at casting this conversation so it's not just, you know, oh, there's another tax, oh, you know, it's going to cost me more. How do you think we can frame this conversation and, um, and make it understandable for people, um, you know, who don't use transit in their daily lives right now? Well, I, I think that for, for us, you know, there, there is a value-based conversation about it, right? I mean, I think that if we look at, you know, you could look at economic, there's a couple of different ways you could look at it. You know, for example, you know, places that were created uh, through the investment of the transit system would have been difficult to create without the investment of light rail. If you look what's happened up and down the South Corridor and the, and the Northeast Corridor up through South End, uh, what's happened in Uptown. Uh, the Noda area, the neighborhood I live in, in Villa Heights, is just completely transformed. Uh, now, with that came uh, a, with expense of, of property. Uh, you know, so so some people for gentrification and and be able people to stay in their homes has been uh, a part of something that we have recognized. And so I think that as a part of the next strategy of the next range of projects is finding ways to to combat things like gentrification and rising property values and finding ways to do that through integrated mobility plans. So I think that as we looking to frame this effort, you certainly can look at an economic piece is important, but also look at access. I mean, look at the access that can be created because the any kind of funding plan not only funds the construction of light rail, it would fund the implementation of a high frequency bus network that we are proposing to, to build out across Mecklenburg County which is you know, going from today about five or six high frequency bus routes to potentially 18 high frequency bus routes, which would be 15 or a minute greater in our system. And as well as a bus network that had, that had no route greater than every 30 minutes. So that only happens through in the ability to leverage additional funding to, to meet that goal. So yeah, certainly a couple different ways you could, you could look at that. There's certainly economic benefit, return on investment. 
uh, but also that access that, that really could, could give people the opportunity to have economic mobility. Yeah, and I think that that's important to note, um, you know, the improvements that would be possible with the bus network and frequency. Um, you know, where I live in South Charlotte, I've looked at um, what transit I could take to uh, the university area. And, you know, even with um, the Envision My Ride program, it's still a pretty long trip. And it's it's not a hard uh, decision for me to take my, my personal vehicle instead. And I was thinking about that. And there's also, in addition to access questions, um, sometimes a, a perception that, you know, the bus is for uh, people who can't afford a car. It's only for, you know, people who don't have an alternative. Um, how do you think these plans could help shift that and, you know, maybe help people in Charlotte um, see the bus network, which still carries a, a majority of riders differently and maybe be willing to use it if they're not already? Yeah, I think you, you're exactly right. I mean, there's certainly, um, you know, a good portion of our ridership are people who absolutely need to ride who you know, either don't have other, other means, and that's certainly a population that we will always need to make sure has, has uh, easy and convenient access to our services. But I think the, in order for us to be successful, we have to build a network where people choose not to have a, have a car and choose to, or, or car light or, or just reduce their, their carbon footprint. And I think the only way that you do that is to make your frequency. I mean, you read, there's a lot of research out there when you, when you boil it down, is that the bus needs to be frequent. And I think that the ability to put more frequency on the street is a huge first step in attracting new, new ridership. And then also coordinated planning efforts. I mean, if you look at the growth that's coming to this region, you know, 400,000 or so people over the next 20 years, you know, at some point, uh, there'll be parts of our community that will be very unpleasant to drive in. So setting up the corridors today with that priority treatment for bus will set us up for the future to create that, that frequency and flexibility and lining up with the 2040 plan. I think that is going to be, be, be so critical and tying into new and emerging technologies. And I think on-demand type of services that connect you to high-frequency bus routes, I think is a, a, would be a great, great first step. For people who aren't, you know, experts following this, um, haven't done, you know, all the reading, obviously, uh, that you have, what does that research indicate? Like, what kind of frequency um, is really a tipping point? How frequent does something have to be for people to, uh, to really find it, you know, reliable enough that they'll choose to say, I, I don't need to take my car for this. I know they'll get me there and back on time. Right. Well, that's, I mean... I don't know if there's a, a sweet spot or not, but certainly, I mean, for us, we we want to have you know we're defining high frequency as every as every 15 minutes. Uh, we do have services on, in our system that are at every 10 minutes. Uh, I think there there is a concern once you get below that 10, get to five, you're getting to a point to where, unless you're in a really really dense area, you're starting to have a lot of buses that are kind of on top of each other. So I think you know your 10 or 15 minute frequency. Is, is something that is, um, would be great. You do have corridors in, say, in LA, where in, in some of their, their BRT corridors where you know, buses coming by every couple of minutes. Um, I think ideally, if the, the best way for me to describe it is if you can create a frequency where somebody doesn't have to look at their watch for the bus route, and that's the frequency that you want, so you don't have to 
worry about when and where the bus is coming. You know that it's going to be coming in just a, a couple of minutes. And I think in, in that case, you know, you're looking at, you know, try to get closer to 10 minutes as, as possible. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think um, yeah. cities I've lived in, um, like the D.C. suburbs and uh, the Boston area, where you could just go and show up and you didn't have to plan everything around, you know, timing it perfectly. That's a really big difference. And I'll just, 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 I'll just add to that too. I think what's also important is getting away from, say, peak and off-peak type of service, you know, so you're not looking at, okay, is it 15 minutes and 10 minutes from 7 to 9? What happens at 10? Just having that clear and consistent frequency throughout the day so that you don't, that the expectation of that service is consistent. That's a really important factor. Yeah, especially if we move away from the traditional, you know, morning, afternoon rush hour. Exactly. So I wanted to talk a little bit more in detail about the Silver Line and, um, and where things stand with that right now, where the planning is, what people should expect to see over the coming um, you know, year or so. Uh, given that that's the most, I think, concrete uh, plan that's out there and probably is what people think of first if they think, you know, how Charlotte expanding transit, um, what should we expect to see next? And, you know, what basically what happens next um, now that we've got these preliminary alignments out there? Yeah. So, you know, right now we're, we're, you know, the history of the Silver Line was, you know, developing that project in two phases. We, we did a Southeast study back in 2015 that, uh, that I led that led to, to the adoption of light rail from Uptown Charlotte to Matthews, did the system update in 2018 and 2019, which led to a proposed evaluation of extending southeast into Union County, as well as extending the Silver Line through Uptown along Wilkinson Boulevard to, to potentially into to Gaston County. And then, you know, that's the project we started with this year. And one of the first things we did was say, okay, well, it's, it's been some time since it's been adopted, and particularly in the case of the southeast portion. And we had to make sure we had it right. You know, let's look at, you know, new developments occurred. Uh, let's do a deeper level of design. And so what we've done uh, was a series of public meetings earlier early this year and then just this past fall, where we looked at potential options to, to what's called the locally uh, preferred alternative, which is in our 2030 transit system plan. Uh, we've received public comment on those options. And now we're, we're coming back out in January, actually, of this year. And uh, we'll be showing the public what we've heard from the fall outreach and also what we feel like we may take to the Metropolitan Transit Commission, that's our governing body, in February or early, earlier this year, with what we think we're calling what we're calling the refined locally preferred alternative. So if there were things that we need to change, and, and then why that is important is because before we enter into, say, an environmental phase, we want to make sure we got we've we really vetted the alternative. And that's what we're doing now. And so once we get that adoption back in front of the MDC early this year, then we'll go into what, you know, into those, those environmental document phases, you know, environmental impact statements. And the goal would be to do that for the next uh, three, three to five years, and then just keep advancing the project into design. You know, we take it to 15%, take it to 30, take it to 65%, and then take it into what's called project development. If all goes well, the funding lines up for that, uh, the project development phase uh, would, would be kicking off later in this decade. So let's say 2026, 2027 timeframe. 
And while that's important because that's when the clock starts ticking for, for, for projects in the federal pipeline. And you've got to be able to get to that final design by the end, I want to say it's a um, two year period. Hope I got that right. I can check with my environmental people to make sure. But essentially you've got to get to that project development phase in a finite time period. And then you get your, your authorization to uh, complete design and then you go into construction. And it's our goal to, to have the, the Link Silver Line uh, built and operating by the end of this decade, in, by, by 2030. There are so many uh, moving parts, you know, everything from different studies to securing right-of-way to securing funding from, you know, state, local, federal partners. Um, it just kind of amazes me how it all comes together and, you know, hopefully end up with a real working transit line on the ground. And hearing you talk about it is really just kind of drives home how many different components have to go into this. That's right. I mean, the most important thing for, for, for us and for, in my experience is you, you, you need to keep the project moving. And however you're able to do that, uh, a strategy that we took during the system update was to, because we weren't certain we were going to be able to begin design on the whole project. So we applied for a transit-oriented development grant uh, in uh, late uh, 2018 with the hopes of, okay, if we're not able to do design, let's do TOD planning in the very early stages. We also applied for a rail trail study grant because we were just thinking of ways to keep the project moving and keep planning and, and designing and protecting it. And then in 2019, we got funding for design. So now we're in this really unique position where we're doing design, transit-oriented development study, and a rail trail study all at the same time. And I think that's, that's very unique for us and, and for many of these projects to do all of this work at the same, in the same uh, concurrent current manner. But you're right, the most, it, it, there are a lot of steps, but it's important to keep the project moving as much as you can. Yeah, I guess uh, momentum is important. Um, yes. Just as it is uh, in the rest of life. So um, a final question to wrap up here. Um, if you were, you know, king for a day, could wave a wand and decree any kind of change you wanted for Charlotte's um, transit system, mobility, uh, our system of getting around in general, uh, what would you change and, uh, and why? Mm. Well, that's, can I, if I only had one magic wand. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, it's just for, I mean, if you had infinite magic wands, then that kind of negates it. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think for me is and this is just comes from a very just kind of personal place. Uh, it, it's all about the the quality of life of the people people that live here. Uh, you know, I want a, a safe and equitable transit system so that you know when these investments are made, that that there there is a space for everyone around high capacity transit. So if people of all shapes and walks and economic statuses of life can benefit from the project. And that's what's you know most important for, for me. And I think that speaks speaks to to kind of the the heart, you know, the life of the city, if it's able to do that, to have that great diversity. So to me, that is the great challenge for us to make sure that we have an equitable based transit system that, that gives frequency uh, throughout throughout our county and region but also that ability to, to give people the access to move economically uh, throughout their life and, and through their friends and family. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Um, 
Really appreciate it. And where should people go if they want to find updates um, and stay apprised of, uh, of where we are with all these different projects? Yeah, I would just, uh, you would, one, you would go to ridetransit.org and there's a link several line page there. Uh, you could also go to connect-beyond.com. Yeah, and, and frankly, the, the, that current effort has a survey right now that you can go and, and, and give your thoughts and opinions on the current evaluation of the high-capacity transit corridors. And if you go to ridetransit.org, you can hear about our, what we're currently thinking for Silver Line, all of our projects, as well as Vision My Ride, the Link, the Link, Silver, the Link Blue Line, Pineville Ballantyne expansion, as well as the North Quarter BRT, and those uh, upcoming Silver Line public meetings will also, the dates will be posted on there as well. And our Met Metropolitan Transit Commissions are open to the public, and they're the fourth Wednesday of every month, starting at 5.30. And now it's all uh, online and virtual, so there's no excuse not to go, folks. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, Jason. I really appreciate you taking the time, and, uh, and good luck with all these efforts. Thank you, Eli. Thanks for joining us on the Future Charlotte podcast, produced by me, Eli Portillo, at the UNC Charlotte Urban Institute. Keep looking to the future, Charlotte.